1: Welcome to the Padres Hot Tub, everybody. Craig Elston, Chris Reed, Rafi Cantor. Even when they don't hear the music, they do the
2: dances.
1: (laughs) I I told you, Craig,
2: I play it in my head before we (laughs) even start recording every single time. It is a jam. It'll never not be a jam, even when it's not playing.
1: You know, it's amazing. Bobby's uh, theme song for us is so good that it's still a jam at 1.25 eggs. In fact, I'd argue it's maybe a slightly better jam <laughs> at 1.25x. It still plays at 1.5. It's still fine. It's a little it's a little caffeinated at 2x. Um, but however you enjoy the podcast if you are listening, um, you know, we thank you for being here. And if you're watching us on YouTube and you heard it at, at 1x, I guess you can speed up YouTube videos too. I, I, I th- you sure can. Okay, well, I'm yeah. going to start doing that now. Too, because I I always get freaked out when I hear it back at regular speed now. Because I'm just I'm 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 a one two five guy. That's that's just where I am. I I I I pep it up a little bit and I get get through the work a little bit faster. Um, Love it. So
2: what I also should note for our YouTube commentators that want me to turn off my camera, never gonna do it. This is what I do for money. I've been doing this for money for a decade. This face, never changing.
1: Appreciate that. Um, all right. We're going to talk about pitching uh, in the bulk of the episode, and we're going to try and uh, put some numbers up and figure out if we can solve an equation to allow the Padres to finish next season. In other words, can we conjure up enough innings uh, for the San Diego Padres starting rotation? Uh, we have potentially some breaking news, some bombshell news um, from Mr. Reed. Uh, we'll sort through that. Uh, we, we need to sort through some fallout from Bob Melvin as well. And we'll do that up top. But first, uh, some quick housekeeping. Uh, again, if you haven't checked us out on YouTube, please do uh, like and subscribe. If you're watching this video, please like it. Uh, please subscribe. Uh, we definitely appreciate that. Approaching 1,000 followers continue to grow. Uh, big ups to Rafe uh, for the latest Pods Above replacement video mm-hmm. on the most unclutched team ever. Uh, great, great video. Uh, super well done. You've gotten a lot of ups for it, but uh, that came out after the last full show. So we teased it last time, but absolutely worth the watch. uh, If you haven't gone back uh, to see that, Uh, please do please check it out. And when you're there, give it a like, give it a subscribe, share it to your friends, so on and so forth. Uh, That's how the algorithm uh, finds its rhythm. Uh, We had another fun thing uh, for our patrons uh, last week, being that it's the off season and we don't have Padres teams Uh, to do watch parties for and have Tevin ruin them. Uh, We instead did a movie watch party uh, this past week, uh, and Tevin didn't ruin it at all. Uh, He didn't actually participate, so who knows? Maybe he would have been jumping in, telling us that actually Cameron Crowe is terrible at things for reasons and whatnot, and the 14-year contract he signed uh, was was a huge mistake. Um, I don't know. But what we did instead... Uh, Was we talked about uh, Cameron Crowe's 1989 film, Say Anything. We all watched it together. We click play and then we put up the watch party. That's one uh, episode down, even on the free feed. Uh, I mention it not only because we had a lot of fun, but because our patrons are going to have a chance in the next week to pick our next movie uh, that we will do. Uh, You know, the first one was definitely, uh, I think, struck because of the whole situation of me having watched it so much and not you guys not having watched it. but uh, we're going to have the patrons pick on the next flick. So, how can you be part of our fun? Patreon.com slash Padres Hot Tub. If you do enjoy this show and you're a free patron, consider supporting the show by be becoming a Patreon member, Patreon.com slash Padres Hot Tub. I'll just throw it out there. Patrons uh, had the opportunity to go to the U.S. women's national team this weekend because a couple tickets dropped in my lap and I dropped them in the Discord's lap and said, hey, who wants to go? First come, first serve. Boom. It was a $5 patron who picked those up. Padre Poppy went sat in the 100 section, sat in some great seats uh, to check out uh, U.S. women's team thumping uh, Columbia yesterday, 3 nothing. So, uh, hey, things happen. Padre tickets come all the time. All the fun different things we have, all the different benefits. Check them out. Find out for yourself. Patreon.com slash Padres Hot Tub. Membership can be as low as five bucks a month. It's a bargain. Okay. Uh, we did two episodes last week essentially on Bob Melvin leaving. So there's a lot of ground that we've covered that I definitely don't want to repeat and recover. Since those episodes came out, some reporting came out from our Padres reporters, Kevin A.C. and Dennis Lynn. Uh, much of which I would describe as the Padres front office trying to put their spin on things and make sure that if you're going to be out there ripping everybody to know, hey, Bob wasn't all he was cracked up to be. There might have been some problems here with old Bob. And if you knew more, you might not be as excited uh, at us and you, you might be more thinking that we did the right thing. Uh. I shared some of those uh, clips with you guys in our Discord, uh, and just kind of going through it real quick because then I I had a couple people, one in particular, but you know you know how t- X is, especially more than Twitter. Twitter was bad. X is worse. Um, and So people just like, no, Bob Melvin is just the worst manager. You don't you don't understand. Bob Melvin is the was was a terrible manager. Who had a terrible relationship with the front office, and we should be thrilled that he's gone. He just couldn't work here. And the thing that was pushed at me was the reduced version of Bob Melvin denied analytics to his team. He would be offered analytics and he would not let the information get to his team. He would not let the analytics people talk to the players he would not allow it he was denying them denying them the information that they needed to win games the stuff that we were yelling about in the season at the beginning in the middle and the end sure. and everywhere in between saying Bad why don't why aren't they better prepared yep. why don't they do they have all the info are are, are they the worst analytics department so kevin Acy put out a couple of three different articles dennis Lynn did a a mailbag where he went through some things. Um, I'm just going to kind of go through this real quick. Uh, The first two are AC. The second one is Lynn. Okay. Um, AC members of the front office have expressed frustration at what they perceive as Melvin often balking at their input. This pushback people involved contend has only increased as the tensions between Melvin and Preller have escalated. This was from a piece written the week before they let him go. Or the one, you know, like he did the big thing solving the AJ Melvin rift. Um, Melvin for 10 plus seasons managed the A's, one of MLB's most analytics driven organizations, and was able to coexist with a stringent front office. The difference here, people familiar with the back and forth between the parties said, could largely be in the type of information Melvin receives. Um, Again, A-C. By the end of 22 and throughout 23, there was a perception among those in baseball operations that Melvin did not want input. Those people felt there was at times no collaboration, virtually no collaboration, between the manager and certain members of his staff and those in player evaluation and analytics. Some close to Melvin indicated at the time there was a difference of opinion on the value of the input being provided. Okay, so from those two. Before I get to the Lynn part of this, and then a- another thing from the outside that I thought might help unlock it, just the thoughts there from what AC is putting that, okay, what you're missing is we were trying to offer stuff to Bob Melvin, and Bob Melvin was saying no and or his staff was saying no. How do you guys take that at at the value of, at which it was presented?
0: I take it as what you introduced to that, which is the front office putting their spin on the situation. Uh, yeah that that was why when when you had texted uh, uh, those screenshots to us, I was like, "Are these all coming from AC, or are these all, or some of these Lin and everything?" And and the fact that these two are coming from AC, it's okay. This is AC the mouthpiece again. You know what I mean? We, we've seen many different iterations of Kevin this year. uh, And I will continue to shout out his newsletter. It's fantastic in season stuff. Um, And I think one of the criticisms he's faced before has been being a mouthpiece for certain people of the organization. It was Ron Fowler for a certain amount of time. um, And then, you know, it has shifted and morphed and now it's the front office that are giving him his spin. And of course he's going to report what is being, you know, being told to him. Um, I don't, put a ton of stock into the this narrative that's being spun of like, if you only knew, if you only knew, uh, because I don't think that that was any reporting that we had gotten from Melvin who had a, a, a serious track record as a manager before this, that he was uncollaborative or unwilling to, 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 to work with front offices. So um, I, I also think, uh, again, like, they're going to benefit a lot from this narrative being out there. So I'm always going to take it with a much bigger grade of salt. So uh, no, I don't put a lot of stock into it.
2: Uh, we're going to talk a lot about spin and basically all the screenshots you shared have like uh, agendas behind them that are, are opaque and hard to get at. It comes down to the reporting that we've heard all along that these dudes didn't like each other or like styles, um, habits, work habits, work-life balance habits. And that, that's what I think it comes down to. So the finger pointing that has existed for the last half of the season and coming out of Bob Melvin's departure, like it all just feels like noise. And I, I don't want to get too into it. I, I want that, I want that noise to go away. And, uh, I'm hoping that I would like to see, uh, it not exist at all because it's not the first time we've heard about Padres players having problems uh, adopting analytics, a certain first baseman famously, you know, uh, whether through stubbornness or bad information refused to do it. Um, so it's not a, it's not a new story in Padres land that analytics isn't being used to the best uh, that the team could use it.
1: I want to go back to the, the second AC into the second half of it, because I think it, it's more getting to the heart of the matter th- and also to what you're speaking about, Chris. Um, and I'm just quoting from AC's piece one more time. Uh, Preller runs on input and collaboration. His desire for information is seemingly insatiable. He surrounds himself with advisors, and they're liable to talk all hours of the day. It's not all that rare for someone to get a text or call from Preller at 3 a.m. And then again at 6.30 a.m. The topic of conversation may be a trade that's about to happen or could happen or about a certain player's need to work on one thing or another. Preller wants that from everyone around him and had to accept that there were certain hours and topics that Melvin, who spent 12 hours a day at the ballpark, was not interested in engaging. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) if, If I'm at the ballpark... At noon, and I'm there till midnight, and then I get home and I finally gone to bed, and then my boss is pinging me at three and it's six again. Like, and and meanwhile, Preller's just like, this motherfucker's left me on red for six (laughs)
0: hours. (laughs) This is the part of the article where I, that's why I kind of was like, AC's running into mouthpiece territory again. Quote, Preller runs on input and collaboration. All the time. That literally runs counter to every single piece of reporting, including AC's own reporting, like, of the last, like, from before Bob Melvin was manager, from, like, the 2021 Lynn Rosenthal piece that spoke of the toxic work culture. Like, it's completely, completely counter to that. And I, it, I love the idea of, like, and what has AJ been doing in those three hours, by the way? Is that when he sleeps or is that when he like really gets his best work done? Or is that oh. when
1: the basketball game is like maybe, <laughs> maybe the pickup games at 430? So like he he texted maybe. at three. Then he went, and he got his sneakers. He warmed up. He played in the game. He came back. He toweled off. Still hasn't answered another text or call. You know, maybe I'll call this time. It's like, dude, no, I worked 12 hours. We're on the road. I just fell asleep at two in the morning. Like I, I'm 61.
2: Like <laughs> you know? mean, that's it. He's a 61 year old dude who's been in the league for frigging 40 years. Like, come on. <laughs> he does and maybe that's where the micromanage thing. Maybe it's not AJ trying to make decisions for his manager. Maybe it's just him bombarding him with information in a way that's like, dude, you hired me. Let me let me do my job. I uh I did find it interesting that and I, I want to know where this was on the timeline. Uh, A.J. Preller famously threw Kevin A.C. under the bus in the past couple weeks. Right. He said and he was not credible. Correct. Like, well, Lynn, yeah. yeah, they've had their thing. But he said it's not credible, which if you say that about a reporter, you're basically, you know, throwing a, a lethal insult at them as you can. That's I'm, I'm doing that to my child. It's not a it's not a gesture of ancient Italian curse or anything. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh like that's the worst thing you can say about a reporter is that he's not credible that that strikes to the heart of his job that's like saying aj preller doesn't know what a good swing looks like you know um so i i I did listen to hot lava this past week uh, for the first time in quite a while and ac brought that up said that he called him out on that so we'll see if the tone of the reporting changes (laughs) <laughs> over the coming off season it's the tone of the press conference that uh aj took certainly seemed to be different than what we have seen in the past and that that goes to the next thing we're going to look at in the bottom right screenshot craig i don't know yeah. wanna- well so okay
1: now i just want to contrast this and this isn't necessarily a a, a kill ac segment although there's going to be a piece i'm going to kill him on a little bit later um this is like this is his reporting but it does surely seem like maybe his reaction wasn't to get a little bit tougher. Maybe his reaction was to get six or seven quotes from, you know, what was the guy? What was Trump's uh, fake press John Barron or whatever, you know, oh, yeah. was John Barron <laughs> yeah. to call? Hey, yeah, no, yeah, no. Actually, here's the here's the real scoop. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> like, so it seemed to go the other way. Uh, Dennis, in his last mailbag, the first, the very first thing at the top is a big question mark on Preller's credibility. That's the first question asked and answered in the mailbag. It was like, does AJ Preller even have credibility? And the answer was kind of like, well, doesn't really look good right now, you know. Like, and, and basically lays out all of the he said that all of this was BS, and then look what happened. So yeah, not a great look yeah. for you, AJ. Preller. <laughs> so you know, it was a little victory lap for Dennis. That's fine, okay, but. Another big part of the same mailbag was about what about Melvin's culpability in this? Okay, and here's where he got into the issue of analytics and Melvin. All right. This is now from Lynn Preller in recent years has added to his research and development department by hiring from, among other places, Fangraphs, Tampa Bay and Cleveland. The Padres will soon open a pitching lab at Point Loma Nazarene. Current and former staffers have said the amount and quality of in-game information is more than sufficient and not nearly as archaic as some outsiders perceive. According to some team members, Melvin at time took issue with the type of information he was receiving or how it was being presented. Okay, so just pausing there for a second. I feel like that lines up with what AC was reporting as well. Front office being presented
2: at 3 a.m. That Jake Cronenworth isn't trying to put the ball into the left side of the field anymore.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) However, it was whether they're giving him, you know, giant books filled with crayon or you know etch a sketches. (laughs) (laughs) Every time it's an etch a sketch, exactly lined up to the intricate plan, and then they hand it to him, and he's like, I just shook, you assholes! Uh, I never get it right from you." Uh, Whatever it is. Uh, the, some somehow the the methodology was an issue, and, and and it seems to me like it could have been an intrusive methodology from the front office that Bob Melvin was was taking issue with. The second paragraph of what Lynn writes is still those who know and work with Preller say he continues to run a more scout driven organization than most. Many of Preller's most trusted advisors are executive. With relatively traditional scouting backgrounds, and the Padres with a top-heavy payroll and more future financial commitments than any other team continue to lean heavily on their scouts when debating and deciding which players to acquire or shed. Outside of games, the overall influence of the analytics department likely remains limited when compared with many organizations. All right, so I just wanted to add that to, to get back to my favorite way to analyze something when you have incomplete information, which is Occam's Razor. The simplest explanation Mm -hmm. is the most likely to be true. Is it more likely that Bob Melvin was embracing of analytics for 10 years in Oakland with a GM who's known to be, you know, at least somewhat intrusive in Billy Bean and agreed to take the job in San Francisco, which is the second most analytically driven organization only to Tampa Bay in the entire league has the most coaches and is going to be the most intrusive with their analytics and their information. But in between those two places for two years, he turned into an old hard ass who said, keep that analytics away from me and away from my clubhouse and my coaching staff. Does is that more likely or is it more likely that he actually embraces analytics and wants it but wants it done in a functional and coherent way which occurred somehow in Oakland and is likely to occur in San Francisco which is what he's running to and what he's running away from is the guy who's texting him at 3 when he gets into the hotel room at 1:30 after he's been at the after he didn't get anything from him for 12 hours while he was at the ballpark. Like, which is the more likely of the two scenarios. I'll let you, the viewer slash listener decide for me, it's that Bob Melvin is looking forward to being in a more professionally run organization in San Francisco. And that's what he's been coveting in addition to his, you know, long-standing San Francisco sports roots and all the shit that Andrew Baggerly is writing about this week. Like it's that he just wants to get away from the, chaos of what he's dealt with the last two years
0: yeah uh you know again to to further emphasize the point that you're making craig farhan zaidi is descended from the billy bean i guess not coaching tree gm tree like whatever you want to say like it's the same school of philosophy that was happening in oakland that's where they met for god's sake so i mean I, uh, yeah, again, we'll let the viewer decide. I have a theory that I want to get to, but uh, Craig, you had pulled some quotes from Joe Madden, which I think will speak to what I want to say, which I think goes, dives into this uh, dynamic between manager and front office that I want to explore.
1: Precisely. And hey, you know, video folks on the YouTube, maybe I I assume you're seeing all these quotes as well. So, um, so this is from Ken Rosenthal. He, uh, no, pardon, pardon, Jason Stark he did an interview with joe madden on a, the athletic that ran like 4 days ago joe madden who since leaving the angels hasn't had another baseball job but he wrote a book uh in which after he wrote it everyone's like well he's never going to work in baseball again and now joe madden would like to tell you that yes he'd like to work in baseball again um <laughs> in some capacity but he'd like to do it like his way and in particular one of the areas that joe madden had a big issue with was communication of analytics and analytically driven information from the front office to the team all right now he has since said like he wants to work for an organization that understands kind of the right way to do this and here's how he talked about it okay these are these are Joe Madden's quotes now he said at the end of the day and he's talking about his coaching staff you're in charge of the hitters meaning his hitting coach this dude is in charge of the pitchers the pitching coach this guy's got defense. So if you have anything to say about any of those things, you go to the department head and let him bring it to the player. And I want that done earlier in the day. I want fewer people in the clubhouse. I want the clubhouse to be the player's domain. And yes, I want all kinds of input, but I want nobody in my office an hour before the game. I don't want that. I don't think that's appropriate because I've got to get my stuff together. Now, if, in fact, you don't want the manager to get his stuff together and you want to tell the manager what his stuff is, that's a different story. And I can't work under those circumstances. I want your input. I want collaboration. I want all the intel you want to give me. I want all that. And I promise you, I'm going to ask a lot of questions. I am. So he's talking about a world where, yeah, there's all this information. But instead of it going through the chain of command and the hitting coach being looped in and then the hitting coach presenting to the players so that the player has the trust of the hitting coach, it's the hitting coach is telling the player something. Now the analytics guy is walking on the field telling the player something. Now they go back and there's a brief in their locker that's telling them something. And it's too many cooks in the kitchen. And hey, look, I mean, I can respect that as a point of view. I mean, Joe Madden may be antiquated in a lot of things. But I kind of feel like when I read this, Rafi, it felt like an unlock to me of what might have been part of the heart of the Melvin Preller concern. Like, here's another guy kind of cut from the same cloth, Madden and Melvin, who both were considered innovative skippers the previous decade and are arguing about not the information, but the way the information is starting to take over the process of coaching a team.
0: It's all part of the larger trend in baseball of the dwindling importance of the manager. you know I think that it's been universally recognized over the the last 20 years that we just don't look at managers the same way as we did because of all of the information that we have. Now the the issue is is that there's two ways to handle that which is there's a respectful way and there's a disrespectful way. And the respectful way, I think we've seen uh, and I'm just going to bring them up I know we constantly bring them up on this podcast uh, but uh, somewhere like LA, where I don't think anyone who's a Dodgers fan is like necessarily like stoked on Dave Roberts, where they're like, Dave Roberts is the greatest manager. I've seen plenty of Dodgers fans call for Dave Roberts to be fired because of their continued lack of postseason success, but he's never going to be fired because he knows his role in the pecking order. And also, Andrew Friedman has a certain amount of respect for what Dave Roberts does, I believe. Which Dave Roberts knows he's the vibes guy. He's the tone setter. And so because he is the tone setter, Andrew Friedman knows he cannot be that guy. He cannot be in the dugout every day with those guys doing it. So he in some ways he needs someone like Dave Roberts. But also, unquestionably, Dave Roberts is gonna pull the the uh, the pitcher out of the game when the when the spreadsheet tells him to do it. You know what I mean? Right. There's now also, a disrespectful way of handling that, which is AJ Preller and him basically not only saying through, you know, kind of 30,000 foot view that he doesn't really think the manager is all that important, but also through his direct actions by constantly micromanaging and having a no respect for the role that the manager does serve in the modern game, which is the vibe setting, which is the uh, translation of information from the front office to the players. And so if you don't, you, I think you can acknowledge what the role of the manager is in the food chain while also having respect for it as a general manager, president of baseball ops, whatever. It's just clear that AJ doesn't really have the respect and all the reporting says that he just thinks he can do everything the best himself.
2: I, I think he does. I, I think that's why he hired Bob Melvin. I don't think you go out and get a respected guy with two manager of the year awards if you don't respect the position to an extent. Um let, let's talk about Joe Madden. He he's been bitching the exact same way about how his tenure with the Angels ended. Basically after the day after it happened, he right. gave an interview that was very similar to this quote literally 24 hours after he got fired. Uh and he got fired after shaving his head, I want to say. Like he didn't even have time he, he was going to be the vibes guy to the point that he shaved his head. So that he would walk in the clubhouse being like, look, guys, I shaved my head. And somebody showed up from the team to tell him, no, you're not. Phil Nevin is now the manager. So like Joe Madden, you want to talk about friggin' chips on the shoulder and agendas at play. And you want to talk about managers that might have a little too much of a self-importance complex for today's game joe madden is that i don't think bob melvin is that i think he's adapted to the modern game pretty well he seems to have much more a bruce Bochy vibe with him you know the front office does their thing i do my thing i'm not sure that aj manager was micromanaging on an in-game level i don't think aj preller was sending bob bullpen uh orders you know i i, I just no. i've never i've never got that at all what I think Bob Melvin's big complaint with AJ is style and probably just the job he did in like theories on how a roster should be built. Look at Matt Carpenter. You know, I I, I just, I, Perry Manassian was Joe Madden's boss. Perry Manassian hasn't come from one of these uh, sabermetrics analytics driven orgs. He comes from the Alex Anthopolis scouting base, build a team that's economical and reasonable. And that's how you do it. So there is a a change in how managers go right now. Um, And I I don't think AJ Preller is going to be the best at adapting to that just because he seems to have an idea of how one should dedicate themselves to winning a championship a little bit different than people who have played baseball their entire lives and then gone on to to be the, the field general of a team.
0: Yeah, I just have a fundamental different understanding of why Bob Melvin was brought in than you, Chris, or in my, in my, which is that I had interpreted it as, hey, I'm AJ Preller, I've hired three managers, they haven't worked out. So I now need to bring in someone who has respect so that I can gain credibility and extend my role in this position. And I thought that the implication when Bob Melvin was hired to a certain extent was that Bob and AJ's fortunes were tied to one another. And if Bob Melvin didn't work out, that was like AJ's last best hire. And he was, he was basically have, brought in in desperation.
2: I'm with you there. Like, it, it seemed all this season that it was going to be an either or, right? Or or both, right? Uh, I, I, I think they're, I was in the same place. But I also think that it comes from a legitimate place of learning to an extent. I, like, GM's change their performance the same way players do. It's not based on their health or or their body, but it's based on experience. And I think going from Andy Green to Jace Tingler, what's the exact opposite of that spectrum? It's somebody with loads of experience and who has been around a lot. And I, I'll always think this came down to personality. And AJ's personality is extremely set and it's not fluid. And it, th- that's why we hear he has trouble working with folks and why he surrounds himself with, uh, you know, sycophants or voice that are locked minded because he has this personality that it, it, it I wouldn't want to get calls in 3am, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm sure there's very few managers who like have egos and have careers and resumes that, that want to. You know, that, that want to put up with that, that want to be treated, not like children, but like, like uh, subjects. Well, and, and I think in retrospect, when you put this filter on it, it
1: makes the Andy Green and the Jace Tinkler hires so much more understandable. And it gives you a filter for this next hire, too, because the whole uh, our article AC wrote about, like, well, here's where Preller and Melvin's philosophies are different. And here's what AJ, basically reciting everything AJ said in his Wednesday uh, Zoom. You know, the thing you take away from that is, you know, Preller is saying to these guys in meetings, hey, listen, you know, I'm that guy. I'm I'm going to go to Denny's after the game and I'm going to eat and I'm going to think about it. And then I'm going to text you at three and then I'm going to go play basketball. And, you know, I am I'm all in 24, 7, 365. Like he says things that probably other people have heard as bromides, you know, as, as just old saws. Hey, I'm 24, 7, 365. If you're working for me, you're working for, you know, we're, we're going all the time because we have one goal and that's to win the championship. And Andy Green's like, hell yeah, I'm in, I'm the same guy. I, you know, when we lose, I can't stand it. I stay up all night. I rewatch the film. I do this. I do that. And Jace Tingler like, yeah, bro, anything you need, man, I'm ready to go. I'm here to go with you. You go hard. I go harder. And Bob's like, <laughs> yeah, we're all here to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when it comes to actually taking that text at three, he's gonna fucking answer it after he has his eggs at nine.
2: You oatmeal. know, he has and, oatmeal, Craig. Or, or maybe oatmeal, when he gets back to the what's that? He has oatmeal with raisins or yeah, with pecans. With he's not eating cholesterol laden eggs. Come on, that's smart. Yeah, long season. You're right. When Adrian's he's having his oatmeal with a friggin' raisins. monster energy drink.
1: <laughs> so i mean i i see that as very understandable and also very scary because i think ryan Flaherty's going to tell him to f off frankly mike Schilt might be at the point where he just wants a job so bad that he's like cool man whatever you want you know it seems like he's played the politics game to get rehired pretty well and if he gets rehired i think we're all going to rally around mike shilt to be very honest with you and and hope that he's kind of like a uh, a Walmart show, Walter. You
2: know, and really, that-, that might be our betraying Jesus <laughs> this is getting behind Mike Schilt. I've already felt myself starting to get there. You know, he's a manager of the year. I mean, he turned around a team that was ugly and had up front office dysfunction. And since he's left that team, that dysfunction has just come right back. So maybe,
0: maybe. The, the part where I betray Jesus uh in terms of Mike Schilt is. Mm-hmm there's some narrative that was out there about how he really wants to be a baseball lifer. Like that's how what he's into. And they noted that he's like unmarried and like, he just like, he just wants to just like, which is a weird thing. Like I don't even have a wife. That's how much I love baseball. (laughs) You know, like I'm married to the game. I'm married to the hustle. Um, But also it goes back to what Tevin was talking about. uh, You know, whenever we had our last group therapy, which was like essentially, um, Shouldn't you want someone who is on that same wavelength, just like you were talking about with Andy Green, like to be managing the team? Like, and so if 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 this guy's like it's AJ and Mike Schilt, it's just two confirmed bachelors just running <laughs> running the Padres. It's like we don't we don't have time for anything else. We're just gonna be in the basement. Playing OOTP, figuring it out together. Maybe that is the best thing for the team. I don't
1: know. I don't know, man. You just creep me out with the two confirmed bachelors because I'm like, yeah, they're both <laughs> running – where where else are they running? Where are they? Maybe Living they're running. The yeah. dream. Maybe that's how they been <laughs> yeah, so exactly. close. Maybe that's his wingman. Yeah. You know, what's, with old Shilty by his side.
0: That's, that's where AJ's. I think there's some good fan fiction we could be writing. That's a, this is where act the money actually is. All Monty, right. yeah. can you
2: please get on this for us? Yes.
0: Which particular
1: clubs on the road? I think Preller walks in with an NDA. He just he just walks into the club with the <laughs> NDAs and starts handing them out like, yeah, no, you're gonna sign this before we go into the platinum room. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. L- last bit before we get to the uh before we get, get to what's supposed to be the bulk of it. But I, I I'm sorry. I just I absolutely have to. Um, there was a story in the UT uh since our last show about the report that was out there somewhere, I forget that the Yankees and the, I think it was in the post or something. It was in some, some New York outlet that the Yankees and the Padres at some point had a preliminary trade discussion about Juan Soto. When we don't know for what we don't know. Uh, you know, Lynn and his piece said, you know, like GM's never spoke. So what Steinbrenner and Sadler get together a long time (laughs) ago. Uh, well, like what's going on. Um, So A.C. writes this piece and then like in the middle of the piece at the bottom of a paragraph, he just drops, just drops a little nuggy. So now quoting again from A.C. Foremost, the Padres plan to trim at least 50 million dollars from their payroll, which could involve their moving left fielder, Juan Soto. A report out of New York on Wednesday said the Padres and Yankees have had preliminary discussions about Soto. A Padres source said the sides have not talked this offseason. Two different sources said previously the Yankees were among the teams that expressed interest in Soto before the trade deadline. And it was fairly common knowledge within the organization that Melvin favored trading Soto.
2: What, what, what? Can I, I want to add a little bit of context that I heard on his podcast. Kevin AC said that he is very uh, clinical and deliberate about when he releases information like he wants to time it to the point where it's you know it's pertinent because he doesn't want it to be all about him you know he doesn't want to be the story so he'll hold on to some information and not report it when maybe other people want to win the press
0: conference what the actual what so what So I literally uh, treat this as uh, the way how Padre's Twitter started that Pete Alonso supports ISIS. Like that is like the level of credibility which I give this to because it's literally, again, this isn't an article. I I believe it's the same article talk that the front office quotes are in. Right, Craig? It's from the
1: same piece? Or it could have been the second one. I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. I think it was a different one. I think it was a different one. Regardless, all the same writer, all in the same week.
0: It's, it's, it's literally someone in the front office saying like, what's the one thing we could say that would turn Padres fans against Bob Melvin the most, right? Oh, that he wanted to trade one. He wanted to trade his best player. The only guy who like, I think gave a shit at certain points of the season when Hassan Kim was maybe. Okay. And then let's go
2: on. Let's go ahead and play the game of like, that means there's an agenda behind it, but what are you trying to accomplish? By planting this information, are you saying, well, now we're not trading Bob Soto, uh, Juan Soto, because the the loudest voice uh, uh, advocating that is now out of the organization? So now we definitely don't want to. Or is this kind of like even the guy that we've left wanted to do? I do not understand uh, if Kevin AC is so deliberate about when he releases information, why this is here. It blows my friggin' mind. I can't even begin to speculate on it. I have to dig into the micro of this. Okay. So I'm going to start with the fact that this
1: sentence starts with the word and. I was I was taught in high school you never start a sentence with the word and. That's the like the wrong thing to do. That that's conversational, but that is not proper written English. So this is the last sentence of a con- of a paragraph. It starts with the word and. The next four words, it was pardon me, five. It was fairly common knowledge. It was fairly common knowledge within the organization. It was fairly common knowledge within the organization. Common knowledge, so that's something everyone knows, right? Fairly, not no, fairly. Fairly, so okay. Fairly Fairly common knowledge, so a lot of the people, many thirty to seventy
2: percent. Fairly, some
1: yes, some. Plurality to majority subsection of people knew that Bob Melvin wanted to trade Juan Soto. And the first time that we ever hear about it is in the last sentence of a paragraph halfway into a story that's really working off someone else's story that starts with the word and, and is, and it's fairly, what are you doing if this? This is a story. If at the trade deadline, when the team was struggling and the question was buy or sell, if the manager was saying to the general manager, we need to sell this guy, you know how we're going to win? Get rid of Juan Soto. And I'll tell you why. X, Y, Z. Right? Like, if that's a real thing that happened, man, that's a huge story. I want to know every part of that. Why does Bob Melvin not think Juan Soto is part of a winning team? Why does he want Juan Soto to be traded? What are the specific reasons why? Why does what Juan- three
2: AM text trade proposal was he given that 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 incited this belief?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's laid the other way. Like Bob Melvin's never coming up with ideas. Then it's like, oh, but it's fairly common knowledge. He wanted to trade Juan Soto. <laughs> what? like this is this is bad man i'm sorry like kevin i got a ton of respect for you like this is bad this is bad you had a you either had a story that you sat on and squashed in which case you should have kept it squashed and only told your buddies over beers hey by the way melvin wanted to trade bo- hey you, you got to know this and that and the other thing but to throw it in is just it reminded me like jennifer jason lee you know miss parker like in the salon oh by the way it was fairly common knowledge everybody knew bob melvin wanted to trade Juan Soto. by the way oh you didn't know it was fairly common knowledge mm-hmm. yes 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 like i just don't understand honest to god i don't understand and i think he's done a great job covering the team this year but this is like I, I don't get it. That's not one line. That's a story, man. That's C1. Is Bob Melvin wanted to trade Juan Soto? Let's report this out. You can't put it in as here.
2: Like, it's literally written as hearsay. No, when the entire uh, fan, base is, fan base is anxious about losing their best player this offseason because he and others have reported that Major League Baseball is requiring the Padres to lower their payroll. You can't put that in. For a fan base that's on pins of needles, just trying to be optimistic about anything, trying to convince themselves that Mike Shild is going to turn things around, you can't do it. It sucks.
1: Yeah, I, just simply, I don't understand. Like it's it's a story that's absolutely one hundred percent worth reporting at the time, if it's true, if it's something that needs more sourcing, put it in your book and have it be in your book. Like, and that's a great thing in a book that I'd want to pick up and like, if you told me Kevin Acey wrote this big story about AJ Breller wrote a book and in it's, it's got this bombshell about the time that Bob Melvin wanted to trade Juan Soto and it's got quotes and it's got corroboration. Like I want to read that story, man. That's a great story. That's great reporting. That's what a reporter does. But the thing is we live in the age of access in exchange for your soul, access in exchange for your, for for your practices. And I'm not accusing Kevin AC of malpractice. I know he thinks he's very clinical about the way he releases this stuff. You said so you, you said it he said of, so. of what he said. Right. I didn't hear, but you told me he said it. That's hearsay. Um so where was it on this? Where was it on this? If it's a throwaway thing, don't throw it in the article. If it's something that the response to this is, oh, Craig, you're overreacting. It's nothing, it's nothing then don't put it in the article but like when you put it in the article it's it was fairly common knowledge that makes me feel like the idiot like well why didn't i know that bob melvin wanted to train juan so it was fairly common knowledge within the organization what why hasn't it been reported you know a half a dozen times by now if it was such fairly common knowledge or was this not common knowledge and now what is it I don't understand. I feel dumber having read the sentence because I just don't understand any aspect of it. And, and by the way, of course, it doesn't matter. Maybe Bob Melvin wanted Juan Soto to be traded to the Giants because he's about to go there. <laughs> you know?
2: Like, give uh, me just this Anthony much context. I
1: can make it anything I want. Right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's crazy. So... I don't know, man. A lot of good stuff, but this was just like, what, what the, what, what? Yeah. <sighs> okay. Now for our main topic after this break. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. This is what we were going to talk about a week ago. You know, off season, we're trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of how we get there because at the end of the day, we want the Padres to be great again. We want the Padres to be back in the playoffs. And even if that means that we have to deal with another eight different AJ Preller press conferences that are going to make my brain effectively shrink by a small percentage. uh, You know, we'll, we'll deal with the fallout of all of that. To get there, we're going to need pitching. And uh, guys, you know, one of the things about last season that I feel like is the ultimate waste is that AJ Preller put together a pitching staff that was by and large up to the task. And in particular, a starting rotation that the starters, the the planned pitchers in the rotation were up to the task. Blake Snell won the Cy Young. Well, uh, he's going to win the Cy Young. Had, you know, the best year of his career or the second best year of his career, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, Hugh Darvish was a little down. Joe Musgrove was in and out. But Michael Walker gave you just what you wanted. And Seth Lugo gave you way more than you could have possibly expected. And in the end, the Padres were—I'm—I'm uh, I'm right, t- Rayfi, aren't I? A top ten team
2: when it came to the rotation. Yeah. I thought they were top five or top yeah, they, three. Uh,
0: according to Fangraphs, they are—they uh, were the fourth most valuable rotation according to f Um, If you you want to just do it based on FIP, they were the sixth best starting rotation. Um, from a pure ERA standpoint, they did have the literally the lowest ERA by a considerable margin of any starting rotation—a 3.69 ERA as a starting pitching staff—and yeah. um, they were incredibly good at limiting home runs. I mean, that was a big part of why they did it. They were the second lowest uh, home runs per nine home runs per nine at 1.14. And um, listen, uh, this isn't going to be a surprise. Anyone who watched Blake Snell pitch this season? Uh, They did walk a decent amount of guys, um, but really it was Blake Snell who did, like, all of the walking because Blake Snell had a 4.95 walks per nine ratio, and the second highest after him was Michael Wacca at 2.88. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, when, when I say that the Padres, you know, were the ninth worst in terms of walking guys as a starting staff, like just now it's, it's really, it's just Blake Snell. Everyone else was, was uh, good to, to very good. Um, you know, they, they struck out guys. They were not, they were ninth in Cape nine. Like, again, it's like, all of the metrics are fantastic. They, they left the most guys on base percentage wise. Um, when you have that big of a sample Yes, some of that comes down to luck, but a lot of that comes down to having a good defense behind you, uh, generating a good amount of ground balls, a lot of other factors. But, um, th- you know, any way you cut it, they were a good starting pitching staff, truly.
1: OK, so here's the thing uh, that added up to 82 wins because one of the least clutch teams in history and offensive dysfunction and
2: watch our YouTube channel on Rafi's breakdown on the
1: least clutch team in history. Absolutely. Uh, so now here's the problem. You got to find a way you don't have to recreate exactly that. You don't have to be fourth best, number one, ERA, blah, blah, blah. But you've got to match the innings. You, you've you got to match the workload and you're going to have to do that in a situation where heading out the door for sure, Blake Snell. I mean, I say for sure, for mostly sure, Blake Snell Seth Lugo. I'll say it. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to you don't have to add a caveat there. He's gone. Dude, I never thought they'd sign Xander Bogarts this time last year. You know what I mean? Like just who knows? Maybe maybe Seidler pops up like the dude in, in the GIF, you know, on the in, in the coffin that's on the back of the flatbed truck and just pops <laughs> up and starts dancing. grooving. Where are you handed, putting
2: Peter Seidler in a cash. coffin, Craig? What are you just doing?
1: I'm having him dancing on the back of a flatbed truck. That's what I'm having him. Do. Okay. He was in there for the act. He was in there for the act. It was, it was all for the gift. Um, Snell and Lugo, gone and likely, you know, likely out the door not to be replaced. Michael Waka, we have an option. Nick Martinez, there's an option. Both of those options are a little bit dicey. I think we've discussed in past episodes that we've come to the, around to the, to, like, Waka, like, probably okay to pick up that option and Nick Martinez probably should be okay with his 8 million dollar player option um if if the Padres decline uh but who knows okay that's that's a lot that's a lot
2: Snell and Lugo were 1 2 on the team in innings pitched were they not right 326 combined 180 for Blake 146 for Seth uh Mr. Reed yep. I was asking Rafi the question <laughs>
1: just kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding you were that kid in in class though huh what kid the one that pup had things to the, say occasionally yes um the number 3 is is waka he he could be out
2: the door as well if you, Dar,
0: darvish had darvish. a couple more innings okay waka, so you're right but, there
1: darvish and in waka the
2: same range yeah, yeah. You're you're the teacher that was drinking vodka out of his coffee mug. I was. I came with a guitar, but the guitar had a a, a bit of fireball in it.
0: Hey, kid, today we're going to play a video. And then
1: we're going to play it again. (laughs) Tell me the differences. Never. Um, Right. Okay. So we got to figure out how to get from here to there. And there are two players that we know. Will be on the San Diego Padres next year. That's you, Darvish. <laughs> That's, it. <laughs> That's it. Everyone else, no. For for this for this rotation, we we know Tatis will be there, and if he can give us 120 strong,
2: then we <laughs> are could. in great shape. <laughs> he could.
1: I mean, if we have an Otani in our mix, let's do it. Um, so let's start Rafe with you, Darvish, w- where he was obviously last year. Some injury issues. 2021. Some injury issues for you Darvish 2020 2022 completely healthy 2020 doesn't count it was a mini season so what does it look like just statistically in terms of what we should be realistically expecting from you, Darvish in 2024
0: so um I did this for Darvish mushgrove and Waka so I'll I'll get to them in order um but I basically just took their innings counts from uh from their careers Uh, I took out 2020 uh, for obvious reasons, because that'll fuck up the sample. And uh, for Darvish, I also took out 2015 because he didn't pitch. He was recovering from Tommy John. And I didn't want to just have a giant zero in there. So, you know, sue me. It's our show. We're going to do it this way. Um, So 10 seasons that are non-TJ, non-2020 seasons for you, Darvish, in Major League Baseball. He's put up an average of 155 innings uh, in those seasons. And, uh, the standard deviation on his totals, uh, is 52 innings. It's quite high, um, because in 2018, he only put up 40 innings in 2016. He only put up hundred innings. And then this season, he only put up 136. Um, so, uh, basically the low end, uh, you know, one standard deviation on either side, uh, the low end of a reasonable outcome for you, Darvish is is a 103 inning season. Uh the high end would be 207 innings. That would be the second most he's done in his career. Um, so uh, you know, that's kind of the range we're in. That's a that's a huge range. Uh when we get to Musgrove and, and Waka, it won't be that big. Uh but I Darvish for me is is the biggest unknown. Like he's the not only because the data says he's the biggest unknown, he has the biggest range, but also because he could be totally healthy by spring training and we can be great. Or he could like literally need elbow surgery and be out the entire year.
2: So um Is isn't he having elbow surgery?
0: He he had uh but I think very, very minor. Like I, I'm talking more, something more significant. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. gonna he's not he's not scheduled to miss time is what yeah. I'm is what I'm saying now. He could soon, you know, we could soon find out that he could be scheduled to miss time. So um Darvish is for sure the biggest question mark for me going forward.
1: He's also the one guy that you have to have. I mean, I think these next two guys, Darvish and Musgrove, you have to have. You have to have them operating at at least their 80th percentile, um, if if not higher. But Chris, if I was going to put an optimistic case together for you, it would go something like this. Going to lean on a crutch. I, ex- I'm, 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 I accept that I'm leaning on it right away, but instead, this is a guy that's all about routine. This is a guy who is all about a meticulous plan that he's worked on and crafted since he was a teenager to now in his late thirties. And last year, his routine was completely cattywampus. He started in Japan early in a camp, ramping up as if he was going to be a starter. Then he got over to America for just an eye blink. And then it's into the world baseball classic. And is he a starter? No. He gets his first outing that would be kind of the equivalent of a regular first outing in spring training. Everything else is out of the bullpen. He's sparingly used. He never ramps up. Then he has to take a little time to ramp up before the start of the season. He took like, what, four or five days or whatever. And then he came into the rotation and maybe he was never quite exactly right. Like he found his rhythm at one point in the year. Then he's lost it. Somewhere in there, he gets a little bit hurt. It reminds me of, uh, of 2021. Like, if this guy stays healthy, he's still really, really good. He's still creative. He's still he's a physical presence. You know, that's one thing about you, Darvish. Like, he is a huge man. He is a, a real physical specimen. He's not as breakdownable as someone else. That's not a, a word. He, he's not as fragile as someone else. You know, uh, there's a reason that betting on him wasn't a completely ridiculous bet for the end of his career. So if he's not nagged by something and he has his whole off season to get back and he has a regular routine, I kind of feel like we could put 170 innings down as a reasonable number to get from you Darvish and hope that he goes past it and approaches 200.
2: Yeah, if it's 160, I'm definitely betting the over just to put it in layman's terms, right? And like you alluded to, there's lots of reasons to kind of write off 2023, uh, especially when it comes to his innings total as just being a little bit uh, anomalous and outside of what you should expect uh, for you, Uh, you know, with the reasons you mentioned, World Baseball Classic not getting starting. Uh, position locked in and his normal preparation nowhere near a normal spring training and also you you, you, and you said it Craig uh, Mr. Darvish uh, is a meticulous uh, routine guy pitchcock first time in his career he's ever had to deal with that so there are a lot of factors that would lead me to dismiss 2023 as what you would expect uh, from him going forward Uh, his his resume is robust he has a track record that the Padres felt was uh, sufficient enough to make the long-term investment. I cheerleaded the long-term investment. I think he's a great guy to have around. And yeah, man, 170. Yeah, he was going to do that as long as we hear good news about this elbow.
0: I'm going to take the counter position and just mm. say only for the, sack, the sake of, as people have noted, pitchers don't uh, they don't have an aging curve. They tend to fall off a cliff at some point. And I don't, I, I, what I will say is, I don't think that that's what's happening to you, Darvish, right now, that he's falling off the cliff right now. I would just say that uh, as someone who is currently 37 years old and is going to be turning 38 in August of, of 2024, um, we're not going to just see a magical resurgence, I think, of, of anything that we've seen before. I think we're going to start seeing that decline until one day, probably in. 2026 or 2027 he falls off the cliff uh and then which by the way the potts will still be paying uh (laughs) for his extension at that point uh so i i think if 160 is the line i think that he'll if i were betting i'd say he'd go just under that Hmm. um maybe like 150 like high when mid 150s high 150s um as my most probable outcome just because I think that this uh, injury is so unknown and we're so obfuscated by, uh, you know, the Padres c- clinically being incapable of telling the truth when it comes to injuries.
2: Rafi, this was a big boyfriend conversation. I'm sorry, but uh, I can relate more to you in this regard. And my shoulders are falling off. <laughs> uh, okay, so.
1: Somewhere in there, all right, 150 to 170 innings is what we think we can either conservatively to liberally expect from you, Darvish, with a chance, of course, for him to either get injured and give you nothing, which we can always say about anyone, or because he is you, Darvish, for him to push for another classical year. You know, go look at Burt Blylevin's career and all the number of good years he had in his late—like, there's big guys who are incredible, can pitch later in their careers— um, he's had a lot of mileage, but he also could keep going. So I'm let, I don't know. Let's talk about the let's move the slide, uh, so to speak, to Joe Musgrove, because <laughs> on one level, I'd say I should be less concerned about Joe Musgrove. Like Joe Musgrove is much younger. He's very much in the heart of his career. And of anyone who needs to write off a year. It's Joe Musgrove in 2023 from kettlebell to uh, rehab, start crank your shoulder to burn your feet uh, in Mexico, you know, like everything that could go wrong for Joe Musgrove went wrong this year. And before his shoulder started hurting, he was pitching great. However, all that other shit is why his shoulders started hurting. So Rafi, I feel like this one is kind of a leap of faith situation. You have to believe that, it, that the story we've been told is true, essentially. And Occam's Razor, which I already talked about, allows me to do this, to point at all the things that happened this season and say, these things led him to the verge of getting hurt, but they shut him down at the right time. And now he's going to be able to come back without his toe hurting, without his, you know like back to his proper mechanics and with a full off season of rest, he should come back and be himself next year.
0: Uh, Yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, I do want to point out that not too long ago, you were saying it's 50 50 that Joe Busgrove doesn't play for the Padres at all in 2024. It's a shoulder.
1: I mean, Uh, I don't know. None of, none of us know anything. I'm saying if you take, if you take that at its face value, just, First, he hurt his toe. Then he tweaked his shoulder coming back. Then he was adjusting for the toe as he was pitching. He got to a spot that it worked for him. He was super successful in doing that. He torqued his shoulder a little bit. They shut him down at the right time. Like, if you take that, then you can accept he'll have a great, he'll, he can come back and he can be a 100%, 180 inning Joe Musgrove in 2024.
0: Yeah. So, um, over the course of, of, of his six full seasons in MLB, he's had 149 innings on average, uh, obviously this year and his first year in 2017, uh, when he, you know, wasn't quite a fully formed product yet, uh, you know, kind of dragged that total down. That's a standard deviation of 37 innings. So on the low end, you know, that that puts us around the 112 inning range on the high end, that puts us at 186, which would be a career high. Um, 2021 is currently his career high at 181 in the third innings. Um, and he's someone who I, I think, if he's healthy, he can absolutely hit that mark. He hit it in 2021. And in 2022, he had almost exactly the same amount of, 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 in, of innings pitched. Um, so I, I, if the shoulder, I feel there are less question marks with Joe Musgrove than with you, Darvish, because Joe's in the prime of his career. Um, he's kind of a known entity. Uh, he's definitely someone who's going to work hard and be out there if he physically at all can pitch. So, you know, if if we are taking everything that's being provided to us on, on face value, yes, I would say you could pencil in Joe Musgrove for at least 170 innings next year.
2: Well, uh, 2018 uh, was his second year as a full-time starter, and he missed time with a bad shoulder. Uh, and that's what he's battling right now is that shoulder capsule information. But like you said, Rafe, every other time it's 170 innings plus. Uh, he's been posting workout videos famously or somewhat infamously on his Instagram. Dude does look fit. Uh, we know he's going to put in the work. So if dude's healthy, I, I would expect a career year. I, I, I would expect, like, if we're doing our season predictions and it's, uh, it's February 22nd and Joe Musgrove has a clear beer bill of health. I'm gonna I'm gonna predict more innings than he's ever pitched in his life. I'm just gonna be really
1: simple and draw a red line right here before we get to anyone else with these two players. If if Joe Musgrove can't deliver a a full quality season for the Padres in 2024, and you Darvish can't deliver a full quality season for the Padres in 2024, the Padres are not going to be good in 2024. Like it's pretty hard as we continue down this equation to get from here to there. If the first two variables fail, like it's pretty hard to get from to where we need to get, which is over 800 innings pitched from the starting rotation. If the first two guys, the only two guys that you can quote unquote count on, uh, are not going to be a part, uh, not going to be a significant part, carrying the load, you know, doing the heavy lifting in this equation. So, you know, take it for what you want. If you want to say Joe Musgrove is going to have a bad shoulder and he's not going to succeed. That was me three weeks ago. Hey, Hey me three weeks ago. If you want to say that, you're probably just saying the potteries aren't going to have a good year next year. Um, So take it for what it is to me. It's like, it's in the bucket of it's got to be like, it's, it's got to be this way. Musgrove has got to be healthy. Darvish has got to be healthy and productive. They've got to live up as the, numbers three and four starters that are masquerading as number one and two starters in our rotation for us to have kind of like any chance um now let's get to michael walker because i feel like michael walker too Rafi has has developed a pretty standard line in terms of what you should be able to expect from him if you bring him back next year
0: Yeah. uh, Michael Walker, again, uh, taking out 2020, he's had nine seasons in which he's averaged 132 innings. His standard deviation is 29 innings. Uh, So again, that's the lowest of the three um, because he's incredibly consistent. His, uh, you know, he posted 181 innings in, in 2015 and 165 and two thirds in 2017. But other than that, like the last four years, His line has been 126 and two thirds, 124 and two thirds, 127 and a third, 134 and a third. So um, I think it's pretty safe to say that if you sign Michael Walker, you can pencil him in for 120 innings next year at least. you, I think I think you can count on that with upside for more. Um, So I, I, you know, I think I'd probably take the over on that. Frankly, Um, you know, not by much though. You know his. His, uh, if you go uh, one standard deviation in either direction, his low end is 103, and his high end is 161. So it's 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 not very likely that he's going to push more than 160 innings. So uh, if you get a buck 40 out of him, that's awesome. But you know, 120 is my kind of line.
2: And that becomes like a question of is that worth the the 16 million dollars this year and next? Right. And uh, you guys know my opinion. Everybody listening does spot track people who are much better at it than I am put his average annual value at about 18 million. And if you're a team looking at your two top guys in Darvish and Musgrove having big question marks hanging over your head, um, I think Waka becomes even a little bit more valuable. You know, that 18 million is, is a little bit of that's to your basic everyday team. If you're the team holding the contract and the decision, um, that that option, I'm I'm going right back to where I was in May, but it's looking like that option is becoming an easy decision on the the pickup. Yeah, I think when you factor in, well, if not him, then who?
1: Then and and we're going to kind of go down that road here momentarily. It, it gets really cloudy. Really quick. But, ju- but where just, are
2: we at total and wise now already? For, I was just well, going to say, if,
1: if you just want to, to kind of go there, if you put Darvish at 160, which was in between our 150 and our 170, if you put, let's just put Musgrove at the same thing, just to mix in a little bit of uncertainty there, right? That gets you to 320. And then if you put another 120 on top of that for Michael Walker, you get to 440 innings. Mm-hmm. Now, last year, the Padres starting rotation, uh Rafi did this research before the the show, 863 innings pitched from starters, and that was ninth best in Major League Baseball. Now, the best was Seattle and they were just over 900. So the old thing about getting 1000 innings from your rotation, like that's that's 100 innings away from being true uh in, in modern baseball. So Like 800, 850 innings. You know, I think it was like 830 was the average. I I think it was. I got to go back to it.
0: 832, I think, was the average. Yeah, Uh, 832. 832.
1: So anything around there, 850, 830, that's a a normal starting rotation. That's not destroying your bullpen in the modern game. Given two guys that we put in a bucket of, well, we're kind of effed if they don't do it. And one guy, we're we're just kind of giving him his normal mark. We're at 440. So, you know, we're halfway to 850. We've got two spots left in the rotation. (laughs) So we better sign Phil and Joe Necro.
2: Come on down. (laughs)
1: 240
2: innings each, and we've solved the problem. Probably pitch still, right?
0: He's still still there. Well, it. I, I think you have to look at it this way. Your four spot has to go to a back end workhorse and your five spot is some combination of Waldron, Avila, like any of the other guys that are kind of simmering in Triple I mean, I don't know, Jake Groom. Like, I, I know we're just kind of throwing shit at the wall here, but like, A, you're not going to have the money to bring someone else in based on all the reporting that we've heard so far. And B, I don't really think that you have it another choice other than having some of these guys kind of simmer up from el paso
2: i'll just go ahead and say they are fucked if that's their five like that needs to be their six option uh you know and i know the payroll limitations as good as anyone uh the our our wonderkin gm has been known to make some exceptional trades in the offseason uh for starting pitching so that is going to be the key that like that number five spot cannot be matt waldron jay groom and pedro avala on a rotation like maybe one of them picking up that fifth spot but i the we're in the same boat man they need two starters just like they did last year well we've skipped a guy we skipped nick martinez oh
1: i'm so Um, sorry so so nick martinez last year gave the padres what 100 innings and that Yeah, mi- and like 44
0: as a starter. Yeah.
1: Okay. So gave them a lot of bulk relief, and then at the end of the year and the very beginning of the year, gave them some starting rotation time. $16 million for the next two years is a lot for Nick Martinez, but at the same time, the Padres need his innings. And it's a difficult situation to say that the right path is to play hardball with Nick Martinez, poker face him, say that you're not going to pick up the team option, count on him not to get a better offer or not to feel spurned by the team option not being picked up after he was such a team player each of the last two years, you know, vaulting back and forth from the bullpen and the starting rotation, count on some other organization not giving him a three-year deal as a guaranteed starter to come in, that he's going to pick up that player option. And then when all of that happens, when you get through all of that, to actually use him as the starter that you might have paid him 16 million for if he comes in and throws 150 innings you know and and or 125 innings and and does the job as a starting pitcher next year it's a sticky wicket and the only simple way to solve it is to just pick up his options and that's a little more than we want to spend on Nick Martinez it also makes you have to put him in the starting rotation
2: well it's way more because his player option is eight million right right and isn't the yeah the team option 16 16? team options
0: the same as walking same as walking we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna give that to him and by the way nick nick martinez even dating back to his run with the rangers before he spent significant time in japan his highest innings he ever threw was 140 and a third in a season and he wasn't good like yeah you know i mean you had to go to japan i mean he just he wasn't good um, so you know the last uh, two seasons with the Padres, he's thrown 106 and a third and 110 and a third. I think even if he everything goes his way and he comes in and he's a starter and he's healthy and he doesn't miss time, I think it's not realistic to expect more than 130 from him. Sure. Like and to to count on that because it, it, you know that would be the most he's thrown in almost a decade. You know, so I.
1: Let me, let me just know. do let me just do a, a devil's advocate type thing or just it, it sprung into my head. When we say Nick Martinez for 2 years 32 million I'm like, "Wait, I would offer Seth Lugo 2 years and 32 million dollars as a free agent to to come back to my team." But now, let's say that I did that. And then I did sign Seth Lugo to a 2 year 32 million dollar deal. Wouldn't we be arguing that his likely starting's pitching uh, starting pitching innings load would be around 130 because he got to a high number last year and the, the likelihood of him taking an injury next year would be high enough that we'd have to bake that into the projection. And so we'd probably park him at a number not higher than what he had thrown before. So sure. If not lower. Right. So when you go down that road, then Martinez almost starts to make a little bit more sense uh, in terms of the in-house close to us, Financially certain available options. Um, The question then becomes, okay, so let's be optimistic. We we were at 440 as a very reasonable number for three spots. Let's just say Nick Martinez exercises his player option is in the starting rotation and we'll give him 120 innings to be fair. Again, now we're at 560, right? Yep. We're at 560. How many innings can we possibly assign to Waldron and Avila next year? A hundred, a yeah. hundred combined.
2: Yeah, that's what yeah, that's, that's what comes to my mind. Yes,
0: that's a best case. Scenario. Yeah, I mean, yes, correct.
2: Six hundred sixty. I mean, like that. That's yeah. that's Avila being a guy for uh, March through June. You know.
1: No, it, it, wait. If they yeah. each get fifty innings, that means that they both filled in at some point for six to eight starts, yeah.
0: right?
2: I don't. Like, I'm not. I'm not positive Matt Waldron's going to be able to to last, but yeah, we we saw him Matt, do it, so let's say he can.
0: Matt Waldron started uh, six times this year and threw thirty-one and two-thirds innings, and Pedro Avila started also six times this year and threw twenty-five and two-thirds innings. Oof. Okay, so, so we're talking uh, about
1: less than five innings a start. Well, so we that's should probably him ramp having that down been to a reliever,
0: 80.
2: you know, like he did have to go. Th- this from is just as open. a starting pitcher, right? This is just as a starting pitcher, right? With these stats. Well, I like where where has he been career wise as a like being a starter the whole year, like even to the minors? Who, Matt like, Waldron? Has he he has can't have that ev- in the minors, they never let you pitch more than five
1: these days. So I, it, I mean, I, I feel like those numbers get artificially capped anyhow. It's not like the old days where they, you could throw 230 innings in the minor leagues. Um,
2: well, I got it. He's done 130 innings in the minors, uh, you know, years and years ago. But uh, like that was when he was a built up full time starter. And it's been a minute yeah. since he's had that. OK,
0: so, so I. Yeah. At- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say Avila yeah. Avila has uh, in 2022, he started 24 games in El Paso. He threw 112 innings. And in uh, 2023, he started 15 games in El Paso and threw 55 and two thirds. So he's not, there's no length there. Nope. That includes, yeah, the, the 55 and two thirds includes four relief appearances as
1: well. Okay, I'm cutting 10 so, off of each guy. Let's give 40 innings to each guy all right, uh, so that brings us to six hundred forty. So, so we're at six forty. We're at six hundred forty yes. innings, just, and we, we are, 210 we're two hundred ten innings away from last year's starting rotation contribution. Okay, what have we just learned with this with this quick and dirty, you know, math equation on the back of a napkin? We've learned that you 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 can't do it with this group. Yeah, this, I
2: need this two it's guys.
1: you cannot get there with this group of guys. The Padres must go outside the organization in order to fulfill the starting rotation to get to a number that will allow them to compete in 2024. So that brings us to what can they afford to pick up in a trade? What can they afford to pick up in free agency? And it's different affordability. Free agency is fighting against debt reduction and you know a payroll that is already mostly committed. You know, that's the one thing when everyone goes, well, with a $200 million payroll, you should be able to compete. We're dealing with most of that payroll going to like six dudes and or, or seven, and then it's how do you fill out the rest of the entire roster at $60 million, you know, uh, in order to get there. So I, I, I'm sorry, we do this thought exercise and it just brings me to. The reports out of the Arizona Fall League about how well Jacob Marcy and and Graham Pauly <laughs> are hitting and that these dudes are future someone else's, you know, that they're going to go. They're either going to go for Shane Bieber or for Corbin Burns or for some pitcher that's out there that, that could be acquired for top prospects out of the hot lava pod or the hot lava that's bubbling up out of, out of the system again.
2: Yeah, like that's uh, the the in United Corbin Burns is in his last year of arb. That's what they're going to be targeting, somebody who is not at a free market salary um for top market prospects. And we're going to lose guys we don't want to uh, under this path. Is there another way to or, do it, Rafe?
0: Yeah, there is. There's the nuclear option, which I don't want them to take because I think it makes the team worse, but it's that they trade Juan Soto that that's going to get you multiple uh, you could get you could get good pre-arb arms that will be with the team cheap for a while by trading Juan Soto. Um at least uh, you know obviously you could get one really good arm or you could get a couple guys that you know maybe the team determines that that's where the uh the best use of our resources is. I you know, I don't agree with it especially because uh, you know, again, if you if you watch the clutch video, you know, you, you you talk about the offense. This is an offense that is going to be better next year. I I just I know it will be just by the fact that this was truly not you couldn't even say a first percentile. It was like a one, you know, 0. 0.001 percentile outcome for this offense this year. Uh, you know, historically unlucky. And just by virtue of keeping the the offensive unit together the team will be better next year in that respect. It's just basically how much uh, performance can you retain from the pitching staff that will allow you to, you know, that that will be there to to take any hit basically of, you know, we're we're, we're going to get better on offense. I'm saying this poorly. We're going to get better on offense. How much worse can our pitching get is what I'm trying to say for us to still be successful. And that's the question around this.
1: How we get to any of these things without trading Juan Soto. I mean, I think so many of these things we're going to get to thought exercises where, oh, well, if you traded Juan Soto, uh, winds up being a viable solution. And if they're doing the same but then thing, then the
0: team is worse. <laughs> the team just works. It's just a worse team. Like I just I I don't believe that you can make the twenty twenty four team better and trade Juan Soto. Yes. I, I just I do not see it at all. And so, if the goal is to win in twenty twenty four, you have to keep Juan Soto. And so, therefore, you have to do what black magic to to make the rotation work. No, like, I don't.
2: you you've got to gut they, your farm system that you've just built back up to trade for Juan Soto, or you have to spend money. Correct.
1: No. Correct. Right. ABC, right? If if, if it's not going to be Soto, it's got to be one of the other two things. Or else it's you're telling us that Pedro Avila is actually good for 130 innings in the major leagues next year, pitching just like he did for 30 innings. And that Matt Waldron is actually R.A. Dickey, and just he's needed time to develop. But now he's going to come out and have a Cy Young season, and he's going to throw 200 innings of, of way above average ball because he's R.A. Dickey. Like, it's ridiculous. Jay Groom is going to come out of nowhere, and he's going to throw 112 innings for the well, team.
2: Well, we need somebody to make up those Blake Snow walks, Craig. Yep.
1: Yeah. Or you know, hey, I'll I'll throw another thing out there, non-roster invitee. So go go pick your favorite hardship. Cole <laughs> Right. Exactly. The summer of Cole, part two. You know, let's try again. You know. Uh, Pick whoever is has just washed out. Pick someone who's just gotten bombed out of the league. Rich Hill, you know, like (laughs) (laughs)
2: like, we're climbing Dick Mountain again, boys. (laughs) Absolutely, you know, like
1: if you want to tell me that this is how the Padres can patchwork it to get to 850 innings, or that they're going to spend a whole bunch of money on their bullpen. And they're going to count on throwing 780 innings next year. But having the bullpen, you know, pick up the slack because they're going to put a big investment into that. Like,
2: I don't know. Can I give a a free agent name that is not like hot stove, but it's a name that I've said before and is now we don't have to trade for him because he's a free agent and he's a profile that fits with the Padres. Who that? Brad Keller, Kansas City, famously the guy who broke Manny Machado's hand. perfect it's, it's gonna in. make for an awkward conversation but this guy puts up 130 innings every single year i i feel like he's the type of guy that reuben the Abla could fix uh spot track has him making less than four million dollars annually which means it's probably just going to be a one year th- prove it deal um that's the type of guy i need and that's the name i have for this type of person because th- the market doesn't have a lot of these guys on the market he's the youngest available free agent starter he's been in the league the longest as a young man so uh that that's what if i'm looking at the options and it's trade juan soto or take a risk on a guy who might have a 5.5 era but get me those 130 innings that's the option i'm going with man and i'm hoping that juan soto makes up the difference offensively I'm never going to pitch my fork uh, down into the salad until I know exactly what I'm eating. So I I,
1: I don't know what we're trading for. So I'm not going to say we should trade for or against. If if the next Julio Rodriguez is waiting and we could trade Juan Soto for him, I would say let's do that.
2: Um, what about Julio Urias, noted free agent? I think I think pass. <laughs> I think maybe pass. I mean he yeah.
1: he provide some innings. You know what? Well, yeah. For that matter, Trevor Bauer is available. Should we go sign Trevor Bauer and out of Mike Japan?
2: Clevenger? All the, the, we can have the triumvirate of just sick. There you go. The, the nasty boys. The nasty boys coming
1: to petco i don't like
0: this this is dumb this is dumb <laughs> hey we got hey jake arietta's sitting on a lazy boy somewhere he he's been he's been just marinating yeah we're waiting for that shot what he, about he was, me he's getting waiting for a call either from a general manager or for january 6 part two so <laughs> it's one or the other <laughs> It's He's either going to be storming Peoria or a pizza restaurant outside <laughs> Washington D.C. So, <laughs> what's it going to be? This well, is
2: where we're at, Rafy. We need those innings. There's 200 of them.
1: <laughs> there they are. There they all are. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's let's end it there. Let's put it <laughs> please. Let's put a pin in Mercifully. <laughs> it. Mercifully, I think a trade's coming. Bottom line, I think a trade's coming in the off season. I think we're going to have to gobble up saying those old things again, they're all suspects, they're none of them are prospects, look at the Snell trade, look at the Musgrove trade, look at the Darvish trade, we would do every one of those trades again, why wouldn't we repeat the process, why wouldn't we keep it going, and and honestly, who other than what, Bednar, out of those trades, would have been on our team, at any point the last three years, Owen Casey wouldn't have, There wasn't a single person in the Cubs trade that would have in the Tampa trade. They they might want them all. They might start to get some dividends from that. So there's plenty of trades that make plenty of sense that add absolute value, but they will cripple the depth of the organization. They will force the team to stock the back half of the roster with the Rugneto Doors of the world, the non-roster invitees, the quad A guys, the aging veterans you know the the nba roster minimums so to speak um and that's the price you pay if you don't break the cycle this is this is how we this is why we did the how do you break the cycle without breaking the window podcast the number one answer was spend through it so if you can't spend through it it's it's a really that there's there's two other ways to go you either don't break the cycle or you do it the hard way which is by chewing through a year of really bad starting pitching, like just not having it. And we don't have – well, that's the last thing. I guess I wanted to – have we completely ignored the farm system? Is there, is there a number of innings pitched that we should assign to up-and-coming players? Uh,
2: like, I, 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 I'm terrified by all of them. Because the guys that you want that that have the the stuff and, and the pedigree are too young, they're they're too raw, and you don't want to launch them in unless they come into the spring. Like, uh, but yeah, like we we've seen some guys come straight from college, though. You know, if Dylan Dylan Lesko's fully healthy, uh, well, uh, yeah, Lesko's the guy out of the college, and Snelling's the high school kid, right? Uh. It's vice versa. Well,
0: no, Snelling, Snelling, and Lesko are both high school guys.
1: Oh, then never mind. Yeah, Mazer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mazer's a, a college guy. Yeah, Mazer. Maser, there it is. there it is. a college guy. There it Maser's is. a college
0: guy. Yeah, yeah. Could Adam so Mazer
1: like, throw seventy innings for the San Diego yeah. Padres? Seventy? <sighs> Probably not.
2: W- but uh, we're, we're seeing it. We're, we're seeing it happen all around baseball. These these young 22, 23 year old pitchers come up and not be amazing, but at least contribute to that innings load.
0: Yeah, I mean, Adam Mazur only threw, uh, let's see, how many innings he threw? 58 plus 30. He threw 96 innings last year across two levels of baseball. So that would require him, you know, starting the year maybe in El Paso, which he's never performed at before, throwing, you know, a month there, performing well, and then coming up and spending the rest of the team, the, you know, bits and pieces of the, team, or the season with the team, basically. Just, just
2: never send anybody to El Paso. El Paso's horrible. What pitcher has, like
0: the, the use of uh, <laughs> the usefulness of El Paso baseball?
2: Sure. Yeah, man. Like ha, w- <laughs> nobody's come from there and done anything. I, I do want to circle back just to, to finish up and ask you a question, Craig, because our beloved patron, uh, Dr. Cosmo did put in the discord. Uh, how you feeling about Joe Madden as the manager? No, thank you. <laughs>
1: hey, six years ago, he was, you know, or maybe ten years ago, he was the cat's meow. Honestly, I, I I could never get over the way he managed Game Six and Seven of the World Series. Same when the Cubs won it, he was so bad. I was In screaming at the him. television now. and screaming, screaming. Um, the bunt, the bias, but oh my god, just kill me now. So like, I feel like Joe Madden's long jumped the shark. Bob Melvin was the guy I wanted for the veteran managerial archetype. Beyond that, Buck Showalter, because for one year, he whips the whippersnappers into shape. And if there was one guy that would magically conjure 80 innings out of some random ass pitcher that I'd never heard of, it'd probably be a guy like that. Uh, But we're going to get Mike Schilt and we're going to be and we're all going to love him and we're going to believe in him. We'll believe in the Schilt. We'll all have Schilt sandwiches and we'll eat them with (laughs) smiles on our faces. (laughs) He's, he's got a sandwich in St. Louis. It's one of the best delis. The Schilt sandwich.
2: <laughs> I did not know that. I, I will look it up. And, I just made it uh, up, but I'm sure it, it could oh, be dear. true. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon to Chiba Hut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. To
1: the cheese shop down in, uh, down in the La Jolla Cove. The Schilt sandwich. Oh. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. This has been Padres Hot Tub. We've gotten into some very bad things at the end and we'll try and do better (laughs) next time.
0: Thank you to the seven of you who listened to the end of the show. I really appreciate that. Bye-bye now. (laughs)